Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this roundtable discussion, I'm joined by my sister Kay Kellum, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about the movie Interstellar. I'm glad you didn't refer to it as the very, very short film. No, this thing was, what, 168 minutes or something? It was uh, certainly not a a short film. But, you know, one of those things about any movie really over about two hours, you really start to notice the pacing. Yes. Because if it's the least bit slow at any point, there's a certain fatigue that sets in even on a good movie. I never felt that in here. No, the only thing I noticed in terms of pacing was I wished in the front, maybe third of the movie, that they'd been a little clearer or more specific about the blight is, I guess, the thing they referred to it as maybe once or twice faintly Mm -hmm. that, that seemed to wipe out humanity and be the reason that most of the movie was taking place. I wanted more information on that. It was alluded to by my standards. I agree with that. And given how much time they spent early on with kind of documentary interview style footage, they had an opportunity to put in that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, oddly enough, at first that was kind of jarring to me, but then I realized, you know, I'm kind of liking that because here we are watching a quote science fiction movie and yet it almost had a, a Schindler's List documentary feel in the beginning. And these actors who are of an age where they may have been either extremely young during the Dust Bowl mm-hmm. or their parents certainly lived through the Dust Bowl, they're talking about our current time frame, the way they heard the Dust Bowl talked about. And to me, that was just a great touch. Well, and it gave it a sense of this is history, this is past, but it's it's historic. Yeah. And they're talking about the Dust Bowl And in a context of this is past, as we're seeing people do the actions that match up with what they're talking about. And on the one hand, you're thinking, wow, this sounds like the 1920s or the 1930s. And you see someone flip over a plate to dust it off and then open their laptop computer and dust Mm -hmm. it off. And it's like, no, no, this is current or to our times current. Right. But they did have an an opportunity to really explain kind of the backstory of what had happened, what state is the world in, how many people really had died, how had they adapted. Mm -hmm. And some of that was just kind of assumed. Yeah, more was assumed than I would have liked. They did a very good job of really emphasizing the importance of farmers. And Mm -hmm. I think in general right now, we take for granted the importance of where our food comes from. Even that I felt, uh, you know, I felt and I thought they, they... I don't want to say drop the ball, but had opportunities to do better. Definitely. This is the last okra crop ever. Yeah. Really? How come? I'm confused. Yeah. And well, there was no mention of uh, if crop rotation would have helped or things like that. And I know minimal things about farming, but even I know about crop rotation. So explaining why. And there again, they mentioned the blight a little bit and that it was feeding on something in the uh, air. The nitrogen. 
Yeah, and was changing the makeup of the air, which, I mean, I know some plants do the whole carbon dioxide oxygen ratio and all these things, but it was so much in the alluded to versus very clearly explained category that I just came out of that first third of the movie going, I wish I had better idea what the status on Earth was. Well, because we never even see any major city in this film. Agreed. We see one small town as we drive through it a few times, yeah. and mostly during dust storms. And frankly, I don't know that it would look that different now than it did in the film sort of situation. I mean, you find a, a out-in-the-middle-of-nowhere kind of a town. Yeah. You have a, a dust storm blow through it, and you've got some of the scenes from the movie. Yeah. It was... Again, they had an opportunity to really kind of set that up a little bit better. It wasn't a major flaw of the film. No, it it just left me wanting more. This is a movie where when the commercials and trailers hit the air for it, I remember getting that feeling just from those of there's potential for so much here. And when you told me how long it was when we sat down to watch it, I'm like, I'm not surprised by the runtime on this film, but I picked up the novel that accompanied it at the time, thinking I have the feeling I'm going to want to read the book and find out what didn't make it on screen. And sure enough, now I'm delighted to know I have that book and I can go home tonight and read it. Although again, with the length of this film, I'm sure a lot of it did make it to the screen. Yeah, agreed. Because there are a lot of things, I mean, this, this started as the book, right? See, and now I'm wondering that. I'm not sure. I assumed at the time it was a novelization that might have a little bit more. Well, here's the Blu-ray package. It's getting to where the print on those things is so damn tiny, even my glasses, I'm having a hard time reading it. There are things that if this had been, I think, a standard film, would not have been in the film. Agreed, but the director helped write the script. Makes sense. Christopher Nolan. Yeah. And made some very good choices. Uh, there were a couple of design decisions visually uh, that we kind of talked about a few times uh, during the film. First off, the look of the spaceships I thought was really cool and well done. Agreed. And then when it was juxtaposed with the the look of the robots, which were these big boxy-looking things. Boxy things with four like rectangular pieces that kind of... Um... Take a, a, a two-by-four. Mm. Cut it into quarters, and that's and you line them up next to each other. That's kind of what it is. It was it was taller, it was wider, but and on any one of those quarters, you've got room for you know a flat screen TV kind of monitor looking thing. Mm-hmm. And they had two monitors in the center, and the other things could be arms, they could be legs, they could. The way it walked was just kind of weird. It was. I mean, there was one time where I actually called out to you, and the design pays off. Yes, because there was one time it's doing this cartwheel-looking thing. I mean, whoever came up with that design, whoever made it work, did a fabulous job. Because on the one hand, it looks kind of ridiculous, but it it works. It makes a certain degree of sense. There's a a mix of NASA simplicity to it. Yes. Where it's like, well, you know, they use the space they've got. Here's how it works. It folds down flat, whatever. Almost an IKEA design, mm-hmm. but also a an a surprising elegance to it. Yeah. Well, and I guess it'd be the top half to top third in the middle can just kind of flip up. So the two sections in the middle can kind of flip up 
almost to be like a an extra section of your dashboard, if you would. Exactly. It becomes the center console of the ship at one point. Yeah. And I really liked that. I liked that, and I liked the, uh, the personalities they gave them. I loved the personalities. I loved the, was your humor setting at? Was your truth setting or honesty setting at? Mm-hmm. There was another one. Was your trust setting at? Yes, that was a great line they had on, about that. It was one of those where, you know, you're going to have configurations on anything, and it's a way to explain how the different robots, you know, act differently, why they do. Mm-hmm. But their personalities, their AI, it was something that was very believable as robots and believable as AI. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, they could do all sorts of things. And that was another part of the technology they just kind of gloss over. Agreed. It's leftovers from when we bothered to have a military because there were enough people to necessitate having a military. Now that people are starving, there's no point in having a military unless we're going to use them to bomb the people who are about to die of starvation anyway. Yeah. Well, when your Um, infrastructure falls apart, when 6 billion people on the planet are dead, I guess. I was never, again, quite clear on quite the death toll. Yeah. Um, But it certainly, it changes the game considerably. The sciences are not as important as the agricultural sciences. I was going to say, I did find the the changes to the history textbooks to be entertaining, just because I've heard so many conversations over the years about how textbooks get rewritten and revisionist history and stuff. So I liked theirs of the whole, oh, no, no, nobody ever went to the moon. No, that was a huge PR scam to get Russia to bankrupt themselves trying to compete with an imaginary program. It's not a matter of telling the history that happened, but telling the history you need to teach to get the future you want. Yeah. It's it's social engineering. And I mean, it's a fascinating concept when viewed from that perspective. And, you know, to be telling... Somebody who had trained as an astronaut, his daughter got into a fight supporting the fact that the Apollo missions actually happened. Yeah. You know, which it's mm-hmm. one of those things. How do you get the lead character to have the background he needs, be the farm, you know, yes. this kind of a bizarre mix? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew he was going to be, you know, on the spaceship from the, the trailers I'd seen. Yet mm-hmm. he's this corn farmer. It's like, really? He's the best choice? Yeah. But they sold it. They did very well. I mean, while there may have been things they didn't tell us, none of it was stuff that we needed to know. And they sold a lot of the key relationships, the key personalities Mm -hmm. very well. And it was one of those that there was never a point in the movie where I'm thinking, okay, come on, let's just move forward, get on with it. Let's go to the next story plot line or, you know, whatever story beat. But again, 168 minutes, lengthy film. It filled that time mm-hmm. without filling time yeah you know and it had some very cool ideas well and i mean i liked some of the little things like when they were on the planet that was basically all water and had a uh, i guess you'd say a time dilation aspect mm-hmm. to it i liked that their little ranger that they're down on the planet in basically was surfing the waves, whether they meant to or not. I I liked how it ended up moving on the water. On the one hand, I did. On the other hand, it really made me question what kind of, of sensory equipment they had to, to get into the situation they got in. 
Yeah, well, and one of their astronauts proved to be, well, he was there more because he was a scientist. None of them were really trained to be astronauts except our pilot. That -hmm. was clear from before we went. And his comment along the lines of, you know, we just got further proof that a bunch of Boy Scouts went on a mission that needed astronauts. He was right. They weren't trained for what they went into. But until he saw what was coming, you know, I mean, they're they're on this one. First off, they land on a water planet and and put the landing gear down. I'm like, well, why? Because apparently it's like a foot deep at that point. Mm-hmm. And that seems really, really weird. Yes. But they explain it. They sell the concept. But it was one of those, the lack of situational awareness they had to have to get into the situation. Yes. Um, they were doing no scanning with the ship's equipment of even 200 meters away, 500 meters away. It it left you kind of wondering what kind of scanners the ship had. They had the mention of those mountains. Yes. And it's like, okay, I can see how they just misinterpreted the data they had. Basically, because, again, they're in a bizarre situation. And, again, they had that planet, the ice planet. They sold the concepts really well. They had Mm -hmm. sufficiently different planets. Some cool ideas around that. Uh, The station at the end looked interesting. It was smaller than I would have imagined. Mm -hmm. Because it's one of those, you're in the inner side of a, a cylinder, but the, the the diameter or whatever the cylinder was small enough that it was, it seemed impractically small. Yeah. Because uh, when the, yeah. the baseball, the people playing baseball hit the thing, it's a, a home run type thing, and it crashes into somebody's window on the top mm-hmm. of the cylinder kind of a thing. That just seemed... A skylight on the roof of a house or something, yeah. It seems like if you're that close to the center, and maybe it just got far enough to hit the the null gravity in the center type thing. Okay, I'll buy that. Mm -hmm. They could have sold that better, though. But Mm -hmm. if that's the case, even so, by the time you'd be the upper story of that other house, I mean, you should be noticing gravity fluctuations at that point. Yeah. But the the amount of story they had was cool. Um, the, The character relationships, I thought, were really strong. Um, from, you know, parent to child and whatnot, to the point where you see how these relationships have changed over the years. I loved the bit when they get back from that, that gravity well planet where the time dilation has happened and he's getting all these videos from his kids. 23 years worth of videos basically slam him in the face at once because he thought he was gone for basically two and a half hours, but with that time dilation... It was so different back on Earth. Well, and also up on the ship. Yes. And I I liked the way the guy back on the ship greeted them. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really great, too. I mean, it, it had a lot of cool story, but it had a lot of heart to the story also. Yes. And I thought it paid off well at the end without kind of coming full circle so much. But it, it, it tied some things off, but also had a we're moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it ended on a positive note where I don't think they should do an Interstellar 2, but they they could. Yeah. Or an Interstellar TV series. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the way they ended it, sending him off after Dr. Brand, I did kind of like that. Um, I was a little surprised. We were on a station since we spent the whole movie trying to find a planet. Mm -hmm. And we seem to have several stations based on... uh, his daughter was coming from another one. 
Yes, definitely multiple stations, but they had easily 40 years Mm -hmm. from the time she had discovered the key Mm -hmm. to to getting off planet. Yeah. And I found it entertaining that the Morse code on the watch changed locations of where the second hand was doing its little Morse code thing. Well, I think he was just slowing it down, not stopping it. Mm, Okay. And the clock was still ticking. Yeah. Because, well, yeah, at one point the... Second hand was doing its Morse code bit up between the eight and the nine and another point down by the six and the seven. So, yeah. yeah. I thought that was good use of the watch. I liked seeing the watch come back. I like seeing the watch come back. I liked him being kind of on the other side of the bookcase. Mm -hmm. And the visuals there for how to imagine three-dimensional space with that time component. Yeah, that was great. It was very well done. The way it kind of folded in on itself at the end with the Tesseract bit uh, was well done. Um, the use of, of TARS, the robot, as kind of a... a sounding board? Sounding board and, and aid, mm-hmm. you know, and helping the guy not go nuts kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny because, you know, for all that TARS is a, quote, computer and not a character per se, I think that... This movie would have been, I don't want to say it would have sucked without TARS to help that character. But Coop needed TARS. Just from the start, they didn't get along. And TARS was kind of the the military component against him. Not against him, but not for him either. Yeah. But it gave a good dynamic. I mean, the, the robot's TARS and the other one was... Um, Case. Case. Was kind of the R2-D2 and C-3PO of the... The mm-hmm. thing, but not being comedic relief, but offering comedy when needed. Mm-hmm. And it made sense for them to be there. Uh, the one thing I would have liked near the end was when uh, TARS was getting reactivated. Mm. Just confirmation that his memory was all still there. Yeah. This was not just a rebooted system, but the same one he had gone through these experiences with. Agreed. I mean, the implication was that he had yeah. memories. Yeah. But it was unclear. Well, it's funny because, you know, some things we've said, you know, we're we're well trained as viewers at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, the moment that we got to the ice planet and we've revived the guy out of the cryo freeze, whatever we're calling this deep sleep phase, you know, and he points to the robot that he decided to pillage for parts. And I'm thinking, what could he possibly have needed to pillage for parts from this thing? This is bad. The moment we resurrect that thing, everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. It contains data we should not have. This is horrible. Now, in fairness, things went to hell in a handbasket shortly before it was reactivated. That's true. That's true. But those... Had some interesting moments around that. It was also one of the things where, I mean, we'd seen the spacesuits throughout. Yes. But it wasn't until that sequence where we got the kind of flip-up uh, control thing in the hands that do uh-huh. the, uh, the the jet assist or whatever on the elbow thing. Yeah, I was going to call it a, a personal thruster, but yeah. Exactly I- what it was. I mean, for Zero-G, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, and it was well used on the planet. It was... Again, a, a clever little idea mm-hmm. and not a earth-shattering one or something, but it was fun. It, it showed they'd given this some thought, mm-hmm. you know, and I like that aspect of set design, of, of costuming, where it's like they tried to live in that world 
deep enough and long enough for it to make sense. Yeah. And I didn't really feel there was any aspect where it's like, geez, nobody would have done that. That's just stupid if you think about it, sort of. a Yeah. Well, and it's funny because to that, you know, if you think about it and when uh, the guy, I'm now going to call him the bad astronaut, when the bad astronaut was trying to maroon them and steal their ship from space Mm -hmm. and he has a bad lock on his airlock, all I could think was, I've used those vacuum seal bags. And if you have a bad seal, when you go to attach the vacuum, it doesn't work. He had a bad seal. He can't attach his vacuum. He didn't strike me as the type who'd vacuumed in a few years. You know, so all I'm thinking is, I know, bad seal, this doesn't work. But I'm just thinking, you know, he's not going to get the equivalent dissection that he wants. I'm not thinking, and now we shall have an explosion. Yeah, I wasn't expecting the explosion. I expected something to go bad, but that part of the movie reminded me of uh, Gravity. Oh. Where we've got the whole spaceship, you know, mm-hmm. and getting torn apart, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it wound up being, in this case, a very good sequence, uh, really showcasing, hey, we've got an actual, you know, spaceship pilot here. He's going to earn his keep. Yes. And they'd set that up well. They'd set that up well from the very opening nightmare that he had and the fact that he's the one person who trained to go into space whereas the rest of them they knew the science they knew the the textbook they knew the mission they were ready for the mission they weren't ready for the actual Mm -hmm. the reality of it well and to that end the one that i have been man the one i was you know referring to as the bad astronaut you know he was flat out saying it never occurred to him he'd end up on the wrong planet and die for the mission he he just had that hubris thing going on it never crossed his mind you've got to figure when you're sending in this case what 10 people to 10 different planets in the hope one might be acceptable yeah if they didn't do the psych profiles and clearly they didn't and even if you do you, there's no way to know until it happens mm-hmm. the guy had snapped yeah you know and it's an opposite case example to uh, Ravelli, I guess was his name, the one that got left up on the ship when they went down to the water mm-hmm. world and ended up being up there 23 years. We only got three or four lines of dialogue about what he did for 23 years. He studied the, the gravity stuff. He did the, the hypersleep thing a few times. Yeah, but each time he did it, he didn't do it long because he felt like he shouldn't just sleep time away. Yeah, he he needed to to be earning his keep. Yeah, he needed to be sending data back to Earth. He needed to be doing everything he could be doing for them. Even when he started realizing he wasn't positive what he was doing was getting back to Earth, he still had to be trying. Mm -hmm. Well, when you are basically on a mission where literally every moment counts Mm -hmm. because the home planet is dying. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't want to sleep it away. Certainly, you don't want to hyper-sleep it away. Mm -hmm. Now, in some cases, you have to just because there's nothing valuable to be doing as you travel, and you don't have the food resources. And you have to extend your lifespan in order to be of the most value to the mission. And it was interesting to see how they had each of the characters put the ultimate mission first or not. Mm -hmm. You know, at one point, uh, Dr. Brand put data collection before the ultimate mission on the off chance there was some data on that water world 
Well, that's the kind of thing, because I was thinking about it during the movie. You get down to this planet, you realize, okay, person's dead, that's it. Do you turn tail and run, or since you're already there, you and you're not coming back? You see the wave coming at you, you realize how fast it's coming at you, and that the same thing probably happened to your predecessor. Mm-hmm. You have to make a judgment call on how much data did they have time to collect. There was no clear mission leader, and somebody should have made the call and been listened to. And that, I think, was the crisis of most of the movie. There was no clear mission leader. Well, and also the the ships they had were good for space travel, but, you know, I can't help but think of, of all the, the things we've seen in, you know, Firefly, Babylon 5, you know, those kinds of movies, where in that kind of a thing, the, the pilot would have just gotten in the ship, zipped towards the person, spun around, scooped them up, gone out, you know. Yeah. Crazy things like that. Well, I did learn some valuable lessons from this movie. Such as? Such as when you're shooting up from Earth, it's the second pod that gets released behind you that when it's ejected, all the noise goes away. That was one of the complaints I had about the DVD release on this, or the Blu-ray, actually, we saw. Um, There were times when they were whispering, it was hard to make them out, and there were times it was really loud. Mm. And a little more even... Mm-hmm. You know, less difference uh, uh, on the audio would have been nice. Yeah, I felt like I was making you ride the volume control for a lot of the movie. And I prefer movies where I can just kick back and the yeah. sound engineer team took care of that for us. Yeah, that's that's the way it is, unfortunately. And it's not unique to this film, but it's something where I'd much rather it's like, okay... First off, when you've got the the opening uh, studio logo or whatever, have enough audio so I can use that to throttle in, okay, that's the volume I want. Yeah. That should get me through the movie. Yeah. And these days, you've got, you know, a quiet set of, of, you know, logo, whatever. It's like, okay, now the movie started. Now I'm finally getting some audio. Well, one of the logos on this one had zero audio. Yeah. Which I thought was a little deceptive. But yeah, the uh, the very loud thrusters remaining through the second section. Um, and then I guess it was as we uh, cleared Saturn and went into the wormhole, I thought the visual effects there were kind of creepy in mm-hmm. terms of it was like we were going around a marble and then crashed into it. I liked how they, you know, explained that a wormhole is kind of a spherical hole in space. I've read a lot about wormholes. I've seen tons of movies dealing with them and stuff. This is the first one that really kind of made that point and it made sense. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like they were kind of circling around it and scraping into it. Yeah. And to me, that doesn't make sense because you wind up with kind of part of your ship getting stuck into it and part of it not and getting stretched weird or whatever. It seems to me, and again, I, maybe again, spherical hole, it's, it's a bad approach, to dive straight in. Yeah. It just... A better visual explanation could be done of that. It would take some, some 3D animation, some serious explanation, and, and probably still be wrong. A more creative mind than mine. But Something to help visualize it. Yeah. Uh, I liked Dr. Brand's handshake with the them that put that I liked the payoff there. on that later. I did. That was very nice. They, the movie was thought through from stem to stern. Mm-hmm. And it's they set up what they needed to set up without telegraphing. They paid off on stuff. 
without it seeming well, of course they did that. Mm -hmm. I added an item to my bucket list during this film. I've decided I would like to go into a black hole and pull the eject button on my seat. I didn't understand why he ejected. (laughs) He was disoriented and had no idea what to do. And I think he was caught up in the dream of the crash from earlier in. And he heard a voice, a computer voice, telling him to eject. So he just blindly obeyed the computer voice and ejected. All right. So at this point, he's in his rover or whatever the hell it is, the the spaceship. The ranger. The ranger. And the dust is coming. Now these big rocks are coming. And I'm thinking, I want as much mass between me and the stuff coming in front of me. Instant death is all around you. Eject. Yes. Of course, it's also possible that was Lars or whatever telling him eject to get into the Tesseract. Yeah, I mean, it was very unclear where the voice was coming from and why, but the moment he did it and they started going down like this elevator shaft thing. Well, once we realized that was kind of the bookcase or whatever, Mm -hmm. then things started to click in. And it was cool. Again, that was a great visual, a good effect. And it's something that, you know, is is hard to pull off well. Yes. Because that's the kind of thing, if it was done 10 years ago, it would feel very dated. Mm-hmm. If it was done in the 80s, it would feel very cheesy, potentially. And this may, 10, 20 years from now, feel, wow, that doesn't work. Well, I don't think that'll be the case, though. I don't think so, because they really did a nice, I want to say like an Escher painting type effect with mm-hmm. all these different iterations of the daughter's bedroom. And he realized that whoever set this up could navigate to that one place. But they needed him to navigate within the place. I'm not even sure how they got to that place. Him. He was the ability to travel. Well, I I see how he was able to fly through the time in that thing. Uh, It would have been nice for him to realize, whoops, gone the wrong way. I need to go forward. But I suspect each person has a different emotional anchor point. But that now requires not just... The ability to do a tesseract of a three-dimensional place in all of its time split out, but to then have some kind of a psychic link from the person to the place and be able to pull that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if if they see all time at once, they could follow his timeline back mm-hmm. and see that it just it, it really centralizes on this house. Well, it centralizes on the house, but they were. All, he also said that the daughter was the key. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That they were communicating with the daughter, not him. Yeah, but she spent more time at the NASA lab. I mean, there are other... I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. I'm just saying there are other... Depending how you view the logic, there are other more logical places for it to have been. It worked. It felt natural. It was good. Uh, The the actress who played his daughter, the young version, did a phenomenal job. Yeah, she did. Uh, I don't know what else she's been in, but I think she's got a very promising career. I would agree with that. Uh, And McConaughey did a great job. Yeah, he did. You know, and they establish that relationship between those two early on. It carries through to the the older version mm-hmm. of his daughter, uh, Murphy, and then the really old version later on. Yeah. Um, I would have liked for her to, oh, introduce him somehow to her children and grandchildren there in the hospital. I would have liked also, because there was mention if she'd been cryo-sleeping or whatever for two years, uh, when he said, you know, I did come back, she's like, yeah, but... I had to cheat a little for you to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I hung on as long as I could and then some. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, getting introduced to the kids, the grandkids, etc., would have been nice. Yeah. At least to get one or two of them, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was a uh, well, and even you know who was her husband, those sorts of things. And it was fun though because when we get to the the recreation of the house, mm. it's her childhood home, not his house. Yeah. You know, and then we see the little you know TV stands or whatever that ha- are playing the footage we'd seen at the beginning. Yeah, that was nice. Because it was one again at the beginning. We get that that uh, documentary type footage, and then it just goes away for a while. Then we're all on him. Then we get the 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 roll forward of the twenty years of of videos going back, and then we start to get more of her story. Mm-hmm. And then the cutting back and those shifts in narrative techniques and styles and whatnot could have been fairly jarring. It could have felt well, geez, they just switched gears or something, but it flowed naturally. It worked well. Yeah. Um. And it gave the when they were cutting back and forth, uh, between Earth and and him and stuff. It it made sense. Yeah. So it's it's one of those where I've seen uh, not similar techniques, but similar sorts of things tried before, and it's like, Ugh, it didn't quite work. You know, or it felt like they gave up on something halfway through. Agreed. And I didn't feel they gave up on anything. It was something they set that up to where at the end this pays off. Um, and it seems like they they gave. Uh, proper attention to the script and really thought it through and didn't make the film until they were ready to make the film. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. Now, there's like three hours of, of behind-the-scenes or bonus uh, footage or whatever on this thing. My word. I'm not sure what all is included in that, but that could be interesting to go through. Agreed. Just for how they film some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I thought the, uh, the weightlessness scenes were done well. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they didn't spend too much time on that. I liked how they stay, you know, uh, established, oh, let's get the gravity going and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so all in all, I thought it was a really fun film. So did I. I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, I think they could have, I don't say done a better job marketing it, but it was one of those, I've had this sitting around for a little while before we've watched it. It was one I knew I wanted to watch, but could never really remember quite why I wanted to watch. When When it first came out, there was a lot of... We want to surprise you. We don't want you to know too much going in. And I appreciate that. They held so much back, though, that that may have been some of the problem with the marketing. Uh, and that's the, the, the quandary they're in. If they tell you enough to get you hooked, have they told you too much? Yeah. I What I knew going in was that a father had said, you know, humans were meant to live on this planet, not die on this planet. That he was looking for a new home for his family Mm -hmm. and that he couldn't promise his daughter he'd be back. He was going to do everything he could to come back to her and find her a new home. Well, as I recall from what I remember of the trailers and what I was thinking at the time is I was not expecting the time dilation. Neither was I. And I was expecting him and his team to have to go check out all 10 places. Mm, Yes. So get more than just the few planets we got. Now, I'm not the least bit disappointed with what we got. I think it actually worked much better. Mm-hmm. But I was expecting a little more action, adventure type stuff mm-hmm. um, versus what I thought was a very strong plot and a very character-based film. Yeah. I got to care about these characters. Oh, agreed. You know, how the relationships grew, changed, and evolved over the years. Yeah. So to do something with this kind of a budget, this kind of a grand epic scope, and still zero in on the, the humanity of the story. Well, it covers 80 years. Easily. 
and does it beautifully. No, I would agree with that. Um, so really uh, fantastic film, well worth watching. Um, again, they've got an opening to do more, but I don't, they certainly don't think they've got the obligation to do more. And if they were to do more, I would almost want it to be a TV series with the same kind of heart and soul to it. Yes. Of just, okay, how do we, how do we rebuild the world? But I mean, we've seen so many shows like that. I don't think they need to. Yeah. If, if they ever come back to this universe, they've got to have a really, really strong story and a really solid reason as to why the story absolutely positively must be told. I would agree. Because I would hate for them to do something that cheapens this. Yeah. By trying to take a good property and turning it into a, a, a franchise when it doesn't need to be. Sad but true. Yeah. Anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.